And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Steikast, the German football pod brought to you by The Athletic. Today, Christoph Biermann and Kevin Hatchard are on board to discuss the biggest story of the season so far. Germany manager Joachim Löw stepping down after the Euros and the knock-on effects for Bayern Munich and RB Leipzig. Julia Nagelsmann incoming will also bring you news of yet another Gladbach defeat ahead of their Champions League last 16 second leg against Manchester City. We worry about Hertha's survival chances and try to figure out if Bielefeld can maintain their new manager bounce. All of this and quite a lot more in Stahlcast. Before we get going though, your weekly reminder that The Athletic is available for just £3.99 a month for six months right now. Sign up at theathletic.com slash starcastpod. Kevin, Christoph, uh, where should we start? A Bundesliga weekend with not too many surprises, least of all Schalke losing heavily again. I think we probably have to go with them, not so much for what they did on the pitch, but for all the drama off it, they lost 5-0 to Wolfsburg. But are they winning in the wider sense? Because there was a story, uh, Christoph, that Ralf Rangnick might return to them for his third spell and be the big saviour. Uh, now, we should add that that story is perhaps slightly more convoluted than at, uh, people first thought because the uh, talks that he's had with uh, Schalke members of the board or potential members of the board are not the people who are actually in charge at the moment, just to con make it a bit more confusing. Can you clear this up for us? And what would his return mean, you think, for Schalke? Right now, we don't know everything about it. So there is a group of uh, supporters from finance, from the industry, wherever. Nobody knows exactly. A secret group. A secret group. And so because it's secret, we, we don't know it yet. Maybe some people know, but we, we don't know. And um, there is a connection to the Aufsichtsrat, the control board uh, or, or advisory board at Schalke. There is one member. He is obviously the connection between this board and, and the secret group. And the secret group wants to bring in Ralf Rangnick. And obviously he is interested. And that would be a, a very interesting solution for uh, Schalke, especially as there are rumors that the secret group brings also in some money. And we know that Ralf Rangnick, with all his great plans, needs uh, some money in his hands. But the advisory board, who is in charge of looking for the new sports director uh, of Schalke, they were approaching Markus Krösche, now at uh, RB Leipzig. And uh, they had been talking for many weeks. Uh, Uh, had been talks for many weeks with him. But when this news broke, 
Russia decided to step back and now the there is turmoil again at Schalke so <laughs> because so, some of the the people in the advisory board say yeah well um, we don't know anything about it it's it's a kind of takeover it's a bit complicated we are overrun and so yeah Schalke is doing Schalke things I would say <laughs> yeah but are they, are they doing Schalke things that might actually work out for for the better um, Kevin I mean Ralf Rangnick has shown at Hoffenheim, at Leipzig, and it, not least at Schalke before, even though his his time there was was limited uh, for for different reasons, that he can build a club, that he can sort things out, even very complicated places like like Schalke. How do you see this one evolving? It's kind of his dream job, really, isn't it? It's the ultimate fixer-upper. Uh, I think. I think you look at what <laughs> he's been able to do. Uh, at Leipzig, like you say, he wants to build a club at all levels and he has shown that he has the capability to do that. And they need somebody like that to do that because this isn't just somebody to come in and make a few signings. This is somebody to put professional processes in place at all levels. There are so many failures at the club. The question is going to be, will he be afforded the control and the and the carte blanche that he wants? Because I think that's the only way he's going to be able to do the job if he feels he has that power to be able to change things. We saw on Saturday what an utter shambles they are on the pitch. Again, another appalling performance, uh, apart from the first half hour against Wolfsburg. Um, they completely collapsed again. So this leads changes to how they play, the philosophy, but also how the club is run. And it's how much control Schalke are willing to cede. But at the moment, he looks by far the best option. Yeah, well, Marcus Crusher has pulled out um, on Sunday morning. I think he perhaps realised that uh, things would be even more Schalke than he anticipated. And um, he's no longer available, which kind of forces the hand, you would think, of the uh, supervisory board to to indeed appoint Ralf Rangnick. But as both of you have mentioned, I think Rangnick will make some demands, uh, not just in terms of the structure, but also, I think, of the budget available to him. I was going to ask you, Kevin, how that will affect Ahmed Kutuchu, but um, <laughs> maybe maybe more, more importantly... Maybe he's the uh, new sporting director. <laughs> maybe more importantly, Christoph... As much as we love the Bundesliga's organic structure, structures and fan-controlled clubs, and here you have the ultimate fan-controlled club, if you will, because the supervisory board members are all directly elected by the members, is Schalke, though, not the best advert for a change of structure? We have owners, directors, people who are independent of the members who can make decisions and get things done? It looks like, yes. And historically, if we look back in the history of the Bundesliga, there have been alterations to to the general rules that uh, clubs can also become companies or outsource companies for professional football. And that was mainly because of Schalke. Because many years back, they had very tumultuous uh, annual, uh, general annual meetings where um, uh, 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 some of the uh, uh, some of the people who wanted to become president or so brought in members from uh, remote parts uh, uh, 
with buses and giving them a lot of beer uh, so that they <laughs> voted in their favor. There, there nice. are many famous examples uh, of, uh, especially a former um, uh, player, was it Helmut or Erwin Kremers? I think it was Helmut Kremers, uh, one of the famous twins, Schalke twins from the 1970s who, who held a fantastic speech where he was saying, in our days, uh, we didn't even to need to change to beat Borussia Dortmund and stuff like that and he was voted <laughs> <laughs> voted in and so so that that's for the historic background what i think is um i think uh, schalke needs some some uh, needs to restructure uh, a bit but keep the idea. I, I think this advisory board, this Aufsichtsrat is, is way too big. There are 11 members and, and that every uh, one is uh, voted in independently is something you can also discuss because there are clubs where where um, where you vote in groups so that uh, on like block on yeah. block exactly and uh, that that might might help uh, for example um, and and uh, I think uh, Schalke needs a CEO uh, because now they have a structure with a finance and marketing and a sports director that are on equal level but they don't have a CEO on the uh, uh, on their side and I think. These are things uh, that Schalke needs to to sort out in in the um, in the near future uh, to be more effective under the given uh, circumstances, and I think that um, is possible. And I, I, I but I would li also like to add something on on Ralf Rangnick. I, I think Ralf Rangnick is especially tempted. Uh, to to return to Schalke because everybody is tempted to 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 do something at Schalke because if if you make it there you make it everywhere <laughs> and and because it's it's a big prize because millions will love you and everybody so so this is is like a a share on this um, uh, um, that that is very low down and you bring it up and and uh, you, you will praised by everybody and Everybody is saying, yeah, yeah, Ralf Rengnack is able to build a, a, a club from, uh, from, from the bottom up. But he did it so far under, under very uh, artificial circumstances at Hoffenheim and, and, and Leipzig. So in a way like... But, uh, but not at Ulm. Yeah, but Ulm, I mean, where are they now? And, and so, so, yeah, um, so he, 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 built, he built a team there, not a club. He built a club at Hoffenheim, and he helped to build a club at uh, at Leipzig, and and that he he did it in very in a very impressive way. But under uh, under uh, yeah, I would say artificial circumstances, and and Schalke is is the exact opposite. And he, if he would be able to do it there, I think um, he would be finally uh, in the history books of one of the great guys in the history of German football. There's one interesting thing here in terms of the coaching situation as well, because Dimitrios Gramotzis has just come in. Uh, he's had uh, two very successful games, a goalless draw with Mainz and a 5-0 hammering at Wolfsburg. But the idea is that he will develop... The young talent, he, he's worked at Bochum as a youth coach and he has a, a reputation for being able to develop young players. But is he going to be, if Rangnick was to come in, 
would he be Rangnick's guy or would Rangnick be looking for somebody else to come in and do that job? So that would be possibly his first decision to make after coming in. Does he want to go a different way in the coaching and does Gromotsis lose his job after just a few games? I mean, coaching um, is going to be one of the stories of, of the season and, and perhaps beyond because there's so much happening at the moment as far as, as coaches and possible changes are concerned. Um, one that we have talked about uh, over the last few weeks, but I'm afraid is still um, a topic of interest, is of course Marco Rosa, who has um, officially um, announced his departure at the end of the year to at the end of the season to Dortmund. And whether that's a causation or just correlation we don't know but the Gladbach's form which has already had already been pretty inconsistent domestically has taken now a real nosedive they lost on uh, Friday night away to Augsburg 3-1 that was their sixth defeat in a row and the seventh game was a draw against Wolfsburg Christoph, I remember you telling us that this story might be a bigger issue for Ed and Terzic. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a cautious, cautious <laughs> prediction. Um, why has it been such a problem for Gladbach? Or is it just coincidence because Gladbach already had issues before? Um, yeah, you're rubbing uh, salt <laughs> in, into the wounds <laughs> uh, of this prediction. Yeah, but rightly so. Um, I, uh, on, on Saturday, Max Eberl, the uh, sports director of uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, was in the Aktuelle Sportstudio in, uh, on German television and uh, was asked about it and uh, the situation. And I was pretty impressed by him because... Um, he, he seemed to me very clear and what he was saying, and that is my observation. You were saying their form nosedived. I wouldn't agree. The results nosedived. And, um, and if, if, you, if you separate that, um, you see, I mean, their form is not excellent right now. So, so I, I don't want to make them better as they are. But uh, when you look at the results, and I did it, and I've uh, um, uh, written some, some information down. So, for example, <laughs> yeah. they had a... Facts. Facts, yeah. And, uh, for example, with the uh, uh, chance distribution at Augsburg, they had a 13% chance to lose it. Um, when they were losing at uh, RB Leipzig, um, when they lost in the last minute, they had a 67% to get away with a point. When they were losing two mines at home, a, a total embarrassment, they had a 71% at least to get away with a point. And if you remember the uh, quarterfinal in the German Cup against uh, Borussia Dortmund, I don't have the numbers for that, but for everybody who had seen the game, it was a, a perfect 50-50 uh, match. So um, I, I would say they are just desperately unlucky right now. And but... As we have on the other uh, hand side, uh, this situation with Rose, obviously the two things um, are connected and um, 
So, so, um, so in that context, I was pretty impressed by, by Max Eberl because with all the pressure coming from outside, people frustrated about the departure of Rose, see him as a kind of traitor and, and so on. Um, that he was uh, he was still able to analyze it uh, in a similar way li like I did now. So, yeah, I mean, um, that's my point here. Uh, Gladbach is uh, uh, mostly unlucky right now. I was on commentary for that game on Friday and I was looking at the body language of the Gladbach players because you kind of think, are they still playing for the coach? And you kind of got the feeling they were when Florian Neuhaus scored that equaliser. You felt like this is a team that is motivated. This is a team that does want to win. This is a team that still believes in the way they're playing. And Christoph's right. They made lots of chances. They had spells in that game against Augsburg when they were the better team. There's no question about that. But they do have this lack of a clinical edge in front of goal. They're missing chances time and time again. And we shouldn't take too much away from Augsburg either because they defended incredibly well, took their chances when those chances arrived. My argument would be that their season was starting to come apart before all this stuff came out about Rosa going to Dortmund. They were dropping points against the likes of Augsburg. They dropped them against Augsburg in the reverse fixture. They've been dropping points, giving away late leads, uh, losing games with late goals. And you look at individual players, Alassane player, for example, he's only got three goals in the league all season. And yes, he duffed up Shakhtar twice in the Champions League, and that's great, and that was the bedrock of their progression to the last 16, but he's not having a great season. Marcus Turam has had some nice flashes of inspiration, but Marco Rose has made it plain that he thinks the lack of fans in stadiums has gotten to him, uh, and Turam's had uh, problems uh, uh, in terms of the spitting incident, and he was banned for that. He's clearly not quite at the level that he was at, so... I do think there's a mix of factors here and I don't actually think, I agree with Christoph. I don't actually think Rose's announcement of his movement to Dortmund, I don't actually think that's the main one. I think they were on the slide before that. I mean, I think Christoph and of course you, Kevin, you both have a point. Um, what I would say is having also just briefly looked at the uh, FB ref numbers for the XG, yes, it was definitely true that Gladbach should have won that game on Friday. They created an XG of three, which is their best uh, of the season. So, sorry, their second best of the season um, after the 4-1 win against Schalke uh, back in November. But for the other defeats, it doesn't actually look as good. Uh, Leverkusen was negative, the XG D minus one. Uh, Leipzig was negative, minus 0.5. Man City was, of course, negative, minus 0.9. And Mainz was basically a draw, 0.8 and 0.7. So, yes, they got a little bit unlucky, and especially on Friday night, but they've also been struggling to create real chances since the winter break. And there is, I think, a tiredness and a, and, and a flatness about this team that I agree with, with Kevin that precedes the Rosa announcement. And maybe that's to do with the, the way that they played. And maybe that's to do with the way that they often looked a little bit tired towards the end of 
games, especially in the Champions League where they conceded late goals. Is there any point of talking about them for, as far as the Manchester City's second leg is concerned? Or is this a question no. of how, <laughs> how big the defeat was? I think Schalke lost to City 7-0 not long ago. In their last um, ever... In their last ever Champions League match. Oh, last ever. I mean, we don't know. They might, they might still come back. You have to believe uh, in the Rangnick era before it even starts. Yeah, the Rangnick era. Is it, is it going to be as bad? Just a, a quick word. Is it going to be as bad on Tuesday night? I don't think so. I, I think City will cancer through it. I think Gladbach will. Obviously, this is a, a huge, huge game for them. But as we've said before, they have to work so hard for their chances. You know, they, they, they demand so much energy. And I think City will just let them blow themselves out. I, I think they'll keep possession. I think they'll keep them at arm's length. I, I don't think it'll be an absolute hammering because it won't need to be. Uh, I think City will just probably go through it in third gear and, and will find it fairly comfortable, as they did in the first leg, re really, even though uh, Pep Guardiola looked... Um, unnecessarily anxious, although that might just been the coat he was wearing, maybe. Um, but I, I think they'll find it fairly comfortable. We've said it before. I mean, the, uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach to me is also a typical example for a, a team uh, that is not built for the Champions League, that plays in the Champions League, and they did it very successfully. And, and in a way uh, that they've been so successful is also a burden because uh, these two games against Manchester City come um, have been coming at a time where you wouldn't need extra games, where you fly to Budap uh, Budapest and, and, and play an opponent where you honestly don't have a chance. Um, I mean, and you, you, you know that beforehand and uh, you're happy if you if you get away with it, not too heavily beaten and, and get some uh, positive moments. But, but that's that uh, that's it more or less. In the end, if um, so, if um, Rose or Borussia Mönchengladbach is not able to turn it round, they will not play international football uh, next season, um, that it will be a disappointment, but it won't be a disaster for them. So uh, mm. I think with a bit of distance, you, you, will, uh, you, you will take from this season uh, that you have a, had a fantastic uh, run in the Champions League, great games that everybody will remember and a, a disappointing season. And uh, uh, but right now it feels uh, I understand that um, it feels completely different for everybody who has a heart uh, or emotions for Borussia Mönchengladbach. And Gladbach, of course, still looking for a for a new manager for next season. We haven't really heard much uh, of that search. Markus um, Max Eber completely refusing to be drawn one way or the other uh, on Saturday night in in das aktuelle Sportstudio. Uh, they are now on still 33 points in 10th. Um, the very definition of mediocrity. 1-8, drawn 9, lost 8, 41-40 to 40 the goals. So it couldn't have been more sort of um, balanced, but in the wrong way. We don't want to be balanced. You want to be much more successful as far as points is concerned. But Christoph, uh, one team that you wanted to talk about, or perhaps two was the ones you saw at the weekend. Uh, you went to Union's win over Köln. Now, the first thing we have to say about Union, and we've been saying it all season, or most of the season, is that they are no longer 
just involved as a, a bit of a lark as far as the uh, Europa League places are concerned, but they can actually do it. Uh, they're in seventh now, just two points off sixth place, um, which is helped by Bayer Leverkusen, and only six points off fourth place in the Champions League. Christoph, you're smiling. <laughs> it's um, going to happen. <laughs> I'm smiling because uh, uh, Union, uh, uh, toward, uh, until the end of the season, has to play against Borussia Dortmund, Bayern München, RB Leipzig, Bayer Leverkusen, and so on. So uh, they they had this uh, strange schedule where they had the weaker teams uh, in, in the uh, first half of the round and the stronger teams in the second. So... I think it's still pretty unlikely that we see them play international football uh, next season. Okay, it's just kind of a reverse jinx here, isn't it, going on? Yeah, yeah, just underplaying their chances. I know what you're doing. Uh, but Köln, they're, they're victims, if you will, on Saturday. Uh, they're really up against it. They're not just one point off the automatic relegation places. Um, well, place with Mainz in 17 from 21. Christoph, you wanted to talk a little bit about the contrasting figures, uh, sorry, the contrasting fortunes of these two clubs. And again, perhaps the element of randomness that is involved uh, when it comes to Cologne. Uh, when it comes to Cologne, yeah, uh, randomness also plays a role as, as always in football. But, but what I found more striking was how they, they just came with midfield players. I was really in, in Pep Guardiola style, <laughs> but it was very far from Pep Guardiola style. Okay. So, so um, to me, they they in a way are a symbol for a, a bit of frustrating um, development, especially during this season, where you see a lot of teams who are just playing against the ball, who are very very busily running around and closing gaps and run their lungs off and and go into challenges and put uh, their opponents under pressure and when they have the ball they 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 don't know what to do i mean that is and and cologne uh, i mean it, it, it not 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 fielding a a a striker a single striker or a real offensive player uh, until five minutes from time when when Dennis came on the pitch I um, it was yeah it, it it they weren't bad but it, it was was in a way very poor and when you when you uh, see other teams Werder Bremen Augsburg um, uh, Mainz and, and so on there is a, a large group of this uh, teams in the in the Bundesliga and maybe that that there are so many this season, or or my impression is it it uh, that there are so many. Maybe also has to do with the absence of uh, people in the stadium because people in the stadium they would moan, they would protest, they would ask for more football, and now the these coaches and these teams they just go for results and and i understand so so it's not a criticism to markus gistol or florian kofeld or to any of these coaches heiko herrlich because i i know that their job is to deliver uh, these uh, deliver results but it's 
Well, it's um, it's 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 heavy stuff. I mean, it's 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 difficult to watch. It's um, and it's, it's simply not enough to, uh, to to make the Bundesliga an interesting league. I think what's reinforced it with Köln is if you look at two of their best results this season away at Dortmund and away at Gladbach, they were based on the Dortmund one was about set pieces. They managed to score from a couple of set pieces, didn't have to do anything else apart from work incredibly hard without the ball, as you said, Christoph. And the Gladbach game, they waited for mistakes. And when those mistakes came with Gladbach having the ball, then they were able to profit. And so I just wonder if that's reinforced in Marcus Gisdol's mind and in the mind of his players that that's going to be the way they're going to get out of trouble. It's interesting that you put Bremen in that uh, category because I actually think Florian Kofeld wants to play football and Bremen wants to play attacking football. They don't have the players to do it. They're trying, <laughs> but they just can't do it because all, almost all of the players they have in attack, apart from Josh Sargent recently, are so horribly out of form or out of fitness in the case of Nicolas Fulkrug, who's been so unlucky with injury, that they're just not able to play that attacking style. So I think they're trying, but they're not able to. But yeah, absolutely. With Köln, with Augsburg, you dig in, you see what happens. And if you can nick something, then you do. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Before we move on to the fallouts from Joachim Löw's announced departure after the Euros, and there's, there's plenty of that, I think we should just mention another fairly big result uh, for both ends of the table. Bielefeld, Arminia Bielefeld, yes, they do exist. They went to Leverkusen <laughs> and won 2-1 which lifts them out of the relegation places, I think for the first time, perhaps this season, but certainly for the first time in ages, uh, they now have a realistic chance of surviving. And that comes after, Christoph, your favorite topic, changing the manager. Um, you told us, I think before, that uh, uh, that you really rated Uwe Neuhaus, and he did get some really good result. And when the change to Frank Kramer was announced a few days ago, a lot of people from the outside looking in thought, oh, what are Bielefeld doing? This is terrible. You know, Neuhaus has done really well with them. Why don't they give him a chance? But they seem to either got lucky with that manager bounce, new manager bounce, or sorted something out that perhaps wasn't working so well when it comes to the dressing room harmony between the players and the manager. And they get a great result, which gives them real hope. Um, what's going on there, you think, Christoph? So the the criticism was not only coming from from outside. So so it it was especially among Bielefeld supporters. They were really really angry because they saw Uwe Neuhaus as the man who changed things around at their club, who had been stuck in the second division for eleven years, and um, and 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 I I tend tended to agree with them uh, because I think he did a great great job so far with the uh, lowest budget in in the Bundesliga and I think that is still the most important measurement what 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 do you get out of of, of your money 
And I found it also a bit unfair uh, what has been leaked afterwards so that um, how, how he, he, he was handling the team because everybody knows how he's handling the team and he did it before. I mean, Uwe Neuhaus tends to be a bit grumpy and uh, but he has been this kind of grumpy all in his career. He tends to concentrate on the the key group of players that he is working with. So he is not the kind of coach who is um, taking care of number 22 and number 25 as good as he is uh, taking care uh, of number 10 or so. And, um, and he has been very successful with it and his style of football uh, was decent and so on. And so um, uh, I really didn't like the way how Bielefeld was, was handling uh, the situation. But uh, what we can see is that, um, and, and, uh, um, that Frank Kramer was, was able to change the style um, of Arminia Bielefeld in a very short amount of time. Uh, more towards the the stuff we have been talking about right now. This uh, they are running like like crazy and are very busy fighting and, and so on and uh, try to get things from counter attacks that didn't work uh, in their his first home match against um, Union Berlin a, a week ago. Um, when they were when it was nil nil and they were a bit lucky to get away with the point, uh, it didn't work against Werder Bre against Werder Bremen, where they were extremely unlucky in the week. Uh, it was a postponed match uh, where they lost two nil, and now I I found them uh, yeah pretty convincing at uh, again miraculous uh, Leverkusen uh, team. And especially when they came under pressure in the last minutes of, of the uh, of the game in Leverkusen, um, I found it very good how they kept uh, Leverkusen away from from their goal. When you say miraculous Leverkusen team, <laughs> <laughs> what, what exactly do you mean? Where is the miracle? <laughs> okay, got it. Yeah. <laughs> There's a couple of interesting things here, I think, about Bielefeld. The first was the way they couched it in, in terms of how they explained why they made the coaching change because there was a clear difference of opinion, or at least they said there was, between Neuhaus and Samir Arabi, who's the sporting director. And the basis of this seems to be that Bielefeld see themselves or have to see themselves financially as a development house. They see themselves as a club that can develop young talent and sell it on. Now, I think the poster boy for this is maybe Arne Meyer. Now, he's a guy, a young midfielder who's on loan from Hertha Berlin. Quite highly rated, career stalled a bit at Hertha, lots of different coaches, lots of reasons for that. Came to Bielefeld, I think the theory was he was going to play regularly, he was going to improve, his value would go up and that'd be good for Hertha and in the end good for Bielefeld because he'd play regularly. He barely played under Neuhaus and I think that was a problem because... Uh, and I'm extrapolating here, but it wouldn't surprise me if Arabi and Bielefeld thought, well, hang on, if he's not playing, if Hertha have lent us this player, and we're just not using him at all, clubs like Hertha are not going to loan us their players in the future, and that's going to make it difficult for us, and we're not going to be trusted to develop young players. So I think that was a big part of it, maybe. I'm not mass as sold on this Frank Kramer 
revival. I sat through their first two games as a commentator, and there are four hours I'm never going to get back. Um, <laughs> I thought it was the first game in particular um, against Union, I thought was awful. Um, a lack of ambition, a real fear in their play in the final quarter of an hour. They were better against Bremen, but I think they were beaten by the better team. And uh, they didn't play Fabian close and only really looked like a danger when they brought him on. So, yes, great result against Leverkusen. Fantastic. I'm not totally convinced. I think they've improved a bit defensively, but I'm not sure about them going forward. And I'm not sure about this decision to change coaches either. Frank Kramer's got a great reputation as a youth coach. It's clearly the direction they're going in. Will he keep them up? I'm not sure. How convinced then are we about uh, Hertha staying up? Um, they're down in 16th now after the 2-0 defeat against Dortmund. Paul Dardai has been saying all along, oh, it's going to be fine. Most people have been saying, oh, Paul Dardai knows what he's doing. Stability, it's going to be okay. Fixture list is quite amenable. Uh, Hertha will be fine. Hertha will be fine. <laughs> I'm in this camp, by the way. Me too. I mean, I've been saying this, yeah. Will, do you still think that they will be fine? Or are they heading for a pretty dramatic, catastrophic relegation after spending the best part of 250 million euros? I mean, it would be an unbelievable story, but not the one they wanted. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm still in the in the uh, team. Uh, they, they, they will be fine in the end, um, <laughs> but but there will be a lot of suffering be involved because um, um, they have uh, Mainz and Schalke and Bielefeld and Cologne uh, towards the the end of the season and uh, and Union. And Union in, in two weeks' time, local derby uh, at the Alte Försterei. And uh, I, I think it's it's already clear that um, uh, Union will be champion of Berlin uh, this year um, because the, the numbers gap, I think it's, well, how many is 17 points or 9? 17, yeah. Uh, 17 points, so they won't overcome this gap. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I, I think they will be um, uh, they will be fine, but uh, it will go down still as a, a, a an embarrassing season um, uh, for them because uh, you mentioned the numbers you, you they they invested a lot of no, uh, money brought in great names that were uh, very often more great names than uh, that they were playing great football. But but still, my impression is that um, Paul Dardai is uh, will be able to uh, steady the ship at least uh, that they will play first division football again. Okay, well that win for Dortmund uh, puts them still within touching distance of fourth spot. They're two points behind Frankfurt. Frankfurt only drew, or maybe the only is unfair because they did play against Leipzig a one-one draw on Sunday. That means that Bayern are now four points clear after beating Bremen quite comfortably. 3-1 on Saturday. Wolfsburg still in third. They're going strong. We mentioned that 5-0 win over Schalke. And uh, Frankfurt just about hanging on to that fourth spot. But the- Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Biggest story of the week was, of course, on Tuesday morning, the German FA announcing, and it didn't leak, which was in itself interesting. It didn't leak before, announcing that uh, Joachim Löw would step down after the Euros, uh, which of course was only half the story because now the German FA are looking for a new manager and the new manager that they seem to be wanting above all at the moment is Hansi Flick. But Hansi Flick is still at Bayern until 2023 and it's very interesting because Bayern themselves don't, don't seem to be quite sure how to deal with this. Usually you'd hear from Bayern, hands off, he's our manager. <laughs> German FA do one, but not in this case. They've been very cautious, and Flick himself has been keeping his options suspiciously open. Christoph, first of all, was it the right decision for Joachim Löw to make this announcement now? Yeah, um, I, I would say so, uh, um, because it, 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 it felt for a time um, that the 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 end of his era and i think we we, we should call it an era um and a very good one for for german football um maybe had been coming already earlier maybe already after the world cup in 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 russia but now he has uh, the chance to to write a Good final chapter at the Euro this year, and uh, I think everybody will will be happy to to have a nice farewell uh, for him. But then, um, what, whatever the result of the Euro is, um, if the German team will be successful or not, I think it's it's a it's a good good point to uh, to start something new then. Uh, because it, yeah, it, it felt the time was up. It changes the whole and narrative of the tournament, doesn't it? Changes the whole vibe of how they approach it. You know, talking about bringing back Thomas Müller, bringing back Matt Hummels, and you know, the, the whole narrative since the World Cup has been we're building for the future. This is what we're doing. We're thinking about the long term. Well, now he can think. Well, I actually, just want to win this, and then I can go. So he can make different decisions to maybe the ones that he would have done to fit that narrative. So I think it's sensible as well. I think it's changed the whole vibe of their approach to the Euros. And what's the vibe at Bayern? Now that uh, German FA, even though of course they haven't confirmed it officially, seem to be targeting the Bayern manager Hansi Flick. Flick has worked at a German German FA before, of course. He was sporting director, then he was the assistant uh, for Joachim Löw for quite a while. Very successful, credited for uh, some very important decisions that helped Germany win the World Cup in Brazil. But perhaps more interestingly is the fact that Flick himself seems to be quite open to the idea where you're thinking you're in charge of Bayern Munich, you're probably making 
double or at least three times the amount that you could make as the German ma Germany manager, why would you even contemplate going to Germany? But maybe Flick is slightly different in his priorities. Christoph, where do you see this one going? Bayern seem to be, as I said before, unsure how to deal with this because I think there is internally, because of his disagreements with Salen, Hassan Salihamidzic and, and one or two other issues, perhaps they're not 100% convinced that they want to hold on to him if he wants to leave. Is that how you're reading the situation? Yeah, I, I uh, exactly read it the same. I, I think this conflict um, between Salihamidzic and, and uh, Flick is maybe more important than we, than we think. And, and maybe the, the bosses at, at Bayern don't ha really have an idea to, to s how to solve it. And maybe in the end it would be better for all of them uh, to separate their ways. And, um, and when you ask what is tempting for Flick, um, if he, if, if he might, I mean, when you're a Bayern coach, you win at least a title or two or three or six a year. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, um, but with Germany, you can become world champion. And I think that's still the biggest prize in, in, in football. I mean, there are so, so few coaches that have been world champions and, and, and great coaches that have never been coming even close to it. And, um, and I think it's interesting. And when, when we, uh, I think we, we, we have discussed it now, then the German FA likes their kind of internal solutions And so uh, classically, uh, a name like Stefan Kunz would, would come up, who is working successfully with the under-21 team. But Flick, in a way, would be also an internal solution because he was, uh, you said it, he was there as a sports director. He was there as uh, Löw's assistant coach. He knows the national team. He knows how everything is going. He knows most of the players for a long time. There is a, a strong trust between him and the players. And uh, uh, yes, of course, it would be, um, he would be the best solution. I think there's another element here as well. He's won everything there is to win, unless they're going to bring the Liga Pokal back so he can maybe have a go at winning that. Um, it, he has won everything there is to win with Bayern. Now, obviously, there's then the opportunity to go on and, and repeat that and maybe try and win the Champions League again. So there are still, you know, ambitions to fulfil. But there's an argument to say the only way is down after what he's been able to achieve already. So given the rumblings in the background between him and Salihamidzic, and I agree with Christoph, I think it's becoming more and more clear that that's a, quite a deep fault line between them. Then, you know, politically, maybe it makes sense for him and it makes sense for Bayern. So it's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out. But I'd be less surprised about it now than maybe I would have been a few days ago when it the news first broke what you have to understand about the role of a, uh, the coach of the german national team it's you're almost a national institution so you're not just the coach of the national team as in many other countries so it's it's like a chancellor like uh, position in 
in the German society. So that makes it uh, a very attractive, uh, I think, for every coach because it's you're not only a, you're really a coach for Germany. It might sound strange in in, in some of the countries, but but that's it. Uh, uh, what it is in in Germany because uh, the German national team is so important. I mean, Flick has not won the Audi Cup yet. Just to <laughs> ah, that's true. My mistake. Yeah. To mention oh. that, uh, Kevin, but uh, that might still happen. It, it looks as if the German FA's playing for time game is very much focused on securing him this summer. Maybe at a push in the next one, which would still leave time, of course, to be in charge for the World Cup with the World Cup starting starting later in 2022. But as accommodating as Bayern seem to be at this point, will they only make this happen or let him go if they can secure a really high-profile replacement? I guess it's a rhetorical question, but does this now shape up with the dominoes falling the right way towards... Julian Nagelsmann coming to Bayern in the summer? I think so. I think he's expressed a wish to coach Bayern in the past, uh, rather publicly. And he's worn a red liking. coat once. Yeah, he's worn a red coat, so we know what that means. Um, Case closed. I think he's perfect for it because um, he is, for me, the most exciting young coach on the planet right now. And that's very attractive to Bayern to have somebody of that calibre. I think they'll have been impressed by what he's done at Leipzig. It was one thing to do what he did with Hoffenheim, which was incredible, to take them into the top four, not once, but twice. But now he's got more of that Champions League experience. I know it didn't go well against Liverpool, but I feel like he's learning all the time at that level. I think he's found a consistency at Leipzig. He's working with some really, really good players there uh, and finding solutions to how you get the best out of them. And he is a star name. And I think he's a coach that Germany on the whole should be proud of. And I think if Bayern could get him and it's being reported that there have been uh, at least informal conversations uh, about whether he'd be interested in that role. I think if Bayern could get him, that would be a perfect solution for them. Wouldn't be perfect for Leipzig and it might not be perfect for the competitive balance of the Bundesliga, I think, if he goes there. Uh, but I think that would be a great option for Bayern. I totally agree with, with, with what was uh, what Kevin was saying Um uh, now he he is um, he is still so young, but he already looks like a mature coach now. Um, he 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 worked successfully in the Champions League tournament in in uh, in, in Lisbon, and um, he um, he was he, he, um, he with every situation he, he, um, that he had to face, he he uh, he could cope with. So that's very impressive um, at uh, at Leipzig and before at at Hoffenheim, and maybe there is a um, a, a little sentimental extra becomes because he is a Bavarian or Swabian Bavarian, and um, no no not not Swabian, he's from Augsburg? Landsberg. Landsberg. 
Ah, okay. So, so there's also this totally Bavarian. Yeah. So, so there is this uh, possibly extra sentimental argument because he is uh, a, a true Bavarian uh, coming to Bayern Munich, or that could come to Bayern Munich, and and I think. I don't know. He, he, he uh, as far as I remember, I, um, I don't know which club he was supporting as a as a child. I, uh, I think it was Bayern. So um, yeah, the the it, it's uh, it's a little extra to the to to a story that would make sense. It was either Bayern or RB Leipzig, but I'm. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, I think it would have been Bayern. <laughs> he was a Mark Renstedt fan. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we could be in for a very interesting summer, especially if, if Hansi Flick takes his time making the decision, wanting to see how the season pans out. The way I read the situation is that if he does go on and win the Champions League a second time, it'll be the perfect moment to go. If he doesn't do it and the fallout will be negative or some people will blame him or he feels that the backing just isn't there, he will also go. Um, so I think we have to probably consider the fact that the Hansi Flick era is is coming to an end, but the Julian Nagelsmann era might, might be about to start at Bayern. Very, very interesting developments. Well, that's all we've got time for. I think we went on longer than usual, but so much interesting stuff to talk about. Thank you so much, uh, Christoph and Kevin. Thank you, dear listener. We'll be back next week to bring you all the news from German football and the Bundesliga. Until then, bye-bye. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.